You're now listening to Stouffville Pentecostal Church Audio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Our message today was preached by our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Laird. Have a listen. Today I wanted to talk about promises. I know it's a little bit early, but I got thinking about Christmas. I'm already thinking about Christmas, and I know it's early. Actually, not if you go to stores. It's already out. But I got thinking about Christmas and the promise of God to say all the way back in Genesis 3, he made a promise. He said to the serpent, he said, he's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, there was the promise of a Savior. Amen? That one day he was going to come and set his people free. And it got me thinking about promises and how we make them and how we break them. Not just like New Year's resolution stuff. We all know that's, that, that never happens. But, you know, like people make a lot of promises, a lot of promises. But a lot of promises are not kept. And it reminded me of this scripture here and put it up for me. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Are you fully convinced today that God is able to do what he promises? This is true. People make a lot of promises, and not all of those promises are kept. You know, uh, we've just come through an election, and, and everybody makes promises. All the politicians make promises. In order to gain our votes, we're so skeptical, we're not sure we believe them, but we like them to make us the promise anyway. It's a little bit insane on our part, but it is what it is, right? Salespeople make promises all the time. This is going to be the greatest thing you've ever purchased. This item is going to change your life, revolutionize everything about how you live. Well, I've got to buy it then, right? We make all kinds of promises. The, the, and, and it got me thinking about the, the power of a person's word. It's really not what it used to be. It, it's not what it used to be. It used to be that you could make a handshake deal and walk away and know that it was done. Today, we have to have legal contracts for absolutely everything. How many in this room have ever purchased a house, right? How many pieces of paper did you have to sign? Seriously. It's how we live now. Why? Because because we don't trust anybody, right? The power of of a person's word, it's not what it used to be. And even when all of our legal paperwork is done, People still look for ways to get out of the agreement when they don't want to fulfill the promise. 
Uh huh. It happens. We have a serious promise keeping issue in our lives. You know the phrase promises are made to be? That's an awful phrase. Why would you say that? I think they say promises and pie crusts are both made to be broken. Pie crust is okay, but, you know, anyway, the phrase, you know the phrase because it's a popular phrase, and it seems to be a a pretty accurate phrase as well. But I wanted to encourage us this morning. God operates very, very differently. Very differently. He is not only a promise maker, but he is a promise keeper. That's who he is. No matter how unlikely it seems, he keeps his word. He said to Abraham and Sarah, I am going to give you a son. And Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. They will be like the sand across the sea. They will be uncountable. They will be many And they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. 25 plus years, approximately, they waited until their son was born. And Abraham and Sarah, by the way, by this time are, you know, people get married now and go, hurry, my biological clock is ticking. Well, Sarah's biological clock was not only not ticking, it was, it was thrown out. It didn't exist anymore. It was gone. Abraham figured his body was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb was, was, was incapable of, of producing a child. But God had promised. And in Romans chapter 4, it says, he did not waver in believing the promise. Isn't that powerful? Just think about that. He did not waver in 25 years. In fact, his faith grew stronger, the word says. 25 years, he believes that God made him a promise. He says, I don't know how, I don't know when, it seems impossible, it seems completely ridiculous, but God said it, so I'm going to stand on this promise and believe it and not waver. That's what he did. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful story of a man operating on a high level of faith. It's something that we need to shoot for ourselves, right? Abraham and Sarah were way past having children, but we know now that God's, God, God came through. Have you ever wondered why God waited and waited and waited so long before Isaac came along, the son? It doesn't really say, but I'll give, you, I'll give you my opinion. I believe, I've always believed, that God waited and waited so long because he wanted Abraham and Sarah and everybody else to know that this was God. If it had happened in a natural way when they were younger, even though she was having trouble getting pregnant and she got pregnant, they could have written it off as a natural thing. When a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man have a baby, everybody walks away shaking their head. How is that possible? He waited so long to say, this is the hand of God. 
I, am, I, I have made you a promise, and I am fulfilling the promise. And he did it just like he said he would. See, there's no guarantees, of course, with people. But with God, a promise made is a promise kept. And I wanted to look at a couple of other characters in the Old Testament, and then we're going to look into the New Testament as well. But Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of them, or not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Come on. Everything he had spoken came true. And then in a couple of chapters later, Joshua 23, he says, he's he's addressing the people of Israel, and Joshua says, soon I will die going the way of everything on earth. But deep in your heart, deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. Solomon said these words in 1 Kings. Put that one up for me as well. He said, praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. It's not just Abraham. I'm just pointing this out to say it's not just Abraham who saw the promise, not, uh, uh, the, uh, saw the promise of the son, right? It wasn't just Abraham and Sarah. It, it just continued and continued and continued. God promised to Moses that he would take his people out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land. How ridiculous did it seem at that point when they were enslaved for 400 years, have no power, no ability, no way that they could get there, no way that they could be released, but God steps in and fulfills his promise, right? He is a promise maker. Honestly, he is a promise maker. He makes promises, right? He makes a lot of promises, and he keeps every single one of them. I just want to say, so you say, okay, okay. So what are his promises? What are all of these wonderful things, these promises that you're talking about? Well, in the New Testament alone, the word promise is used about 65 times, give or take. And only two of the times that it, it, it's, the word is used, it's referring to a human promise. The rest of the time, it's referring to something God is saying about himself, that he's making a promise, right? So there you have God making at least 63 promises in the New Testament alone. All the rest uh, of those 65, except for two, are promises that God makes. So there are so many promises, right? We could sit here and go through literally, well, at least 63, right? We'd be here a long time, but we have share day today. And we have upgraded snacks. So, you know, I'm just saying there's a lot that we could go through. But I just wanted to give you sort of the 10,000-foot view of some of the bigger promises 
And then at the end, I'll, I'll remind you of some of, the, some of the, uh, the more personal promises. But even the big ones are personal. I shouldn't even say that. Even the big ones are personal. But here's a few, right? Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 4 to 11. Actually, he gives us three promises in these, in these verses, and you'll notice them. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking, until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday, come on, somebody said someday, but someday he's going to return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. This is a promise. It's a promise. These, there's three right here, big ones. He says first, he tells them to go, but don't go into all the world to preach the gospel until he comes. He says, go, but wait. Go, but wait, right? We've talked about that before. Wait until he arrives. He is Holy Spirit. He says he will arrive in a few days. It's a promise. Guess what happened in Acts chapter 2? He arrived. Glory to God. He arrived. The promise kept, right? Then he says, when he arrives, when he arrives, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Remember before the Holy Spirit, they're hiding, they're cowering. Peter denies even knowing who Jesus is. They run away. They're afraid, right? When the Holy Spirit shows up and the power and unction and the anointing falls upon them, Peter and all the rest of the 120 walk out of the upper room, preaches this powerful sermon, 3,000 people get saved, and the church begins, right? I said Peter turned from Clark Kent into Superman. That's what happened. The Holy Spirit gave him unction and power, promise kept promise kept. Someday, someday, Jesus will return. There's three giant ones right there in the, the, those little verses. We've already seen two. We're waiting for the third. Someday, he's going to return. Look at what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. And now look, jump down to verse 9. He says, but the Lord isn't slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. See, this is an absolute clear promise. Jesus 
is going to return one day. We're going to, uh, whether we're on the earth or not on the earth, everybody will know the day that Jesus returns. It's going to happen. It's a promise. You can take it to the bank, as they say, right? This is what he does. Look at this also when we're talking about Jesus. It reminded me of this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So some of you would know, right? They, it, the promises of God are yes and what? Amen in Christ Jesus, right? This is a, a, a powerful truth that I think we need to get. All of God's promises are included in Jesus. Meaning, if you have Jesus, you get the promises. Somebody said yes. In fact, it said God's people shouted yes. Let's, let's do that again. God's people should shout yes. God's promises come with Jesus. They are yes and amen in Christ, right? So... Uh, Remember, it reminds me of that story. Some of you, it's an old story it's a, that people have heard many times. But you know the story of the rich man that died, and he had. He was a very wealthy man who had a vast collection of paintings, masterpieces that were worth thousands, millions of dollars. And all, and he had, he had passed away, and they were having an auction to auction off all of his this famous artwork, and so collectors, wealthy people had flown in from all over the world to bid on these uh, masterpieces that were going to be put up for sale. And the auctioneer gets up to start and he says, before all of the rest of the paintings are to be sold, it's very specifically said in his will that this picture must be sold first. And it was a rough, crude painting of his son, of the, of the, the man that passed away. It was it was a picture of his son. It was worthless. It wasn't, it wasn't worth anything. It was crudely done. It wasn't, it wasn't anything about why all those people had come. And they were saying, yeah, move on, move on. Get rid of that lousy picture. Let's get on with the big ones. Get on with the good ones. He said, no, this one must be sold before all the rest are sold. And he said, can I, can I have a bid? Crickets, which we have recently heard in here, right? Nobody makes a bid. Finally, the gardener who looked after the man's property puts up his hand and he says, you know, I knew the, I knew the old man's son and he was a good boy. I'll take the picture for $10. And he comes up, he gets the picture and the auctioneer hits his gavel and goes, boom, sold. And as the, as the gardener walked away with the picture, he banged his gavel again and went, this auction is closed. And everyone's freaking out. What do you mean it's closed? There's hundreds of things ready to be bid on. We've flown from all over the world to be here. And he says, no, you don't understand. It says in the master's will, whoever gets the son gets it all. This is true for us. Whoever has the son gets it all. When you receive Jesus, you receive all the promises that are tied to him. They are yes and amen in Christ. 
God's promises. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Do you understand what he's saying? Jesus says, I'm going away, but when I go, he will come. And when he comes, he will give you power. He will lead you into all truth. He will be the guarantee that I am with you, that I am for you. He is the one. This is how powerful it is. It's like the spirit is God's own guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he's promised. So you say, how do we know? How do we know? Holy Spirit is how you know. That's how you know. It's the guarantee that the inheritance of God is yours. It is, and, and what, what is that promise? It is the promise of the Spirit, the promise of salvation, the promise of heaven, the promise of being adopted into his family, and on and on and on and on it goes. They are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. This is a powerful, powerful truth. What are his promises? These are just a few. So why can you believe these? See, because a promise is only as good, right, as the person who makes them. Mm -hmm. You know somebody in your life and they make you a promise and you don't believe it five minutes after they've said it, right? But then there's other people when they say, don't worry, I'm going to do it, you can walk away knowing that it's going to get done. Why can you, why can we believe God when he makes promises? A couple of things. When we looked at this uh, extensively when we did our, our series through the book of Titus, but I just wanted to remind you, the number one, number one reason, or a reason, is why can you believe his promise? Because God doesn't lie. He just doesn't lie. Look at Titus 1-2. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Right? So we can have confidence that eternal life is yours. If you believe and receive Jesus... The promise of eternal life is yours. Why can you believe it? Because the God who does not lie promised it to you. That's why, right? This is what he's saying, right? Hebrews chapter 6, look at this one. Um, and you can follow along in the outline and the small group questions are there, but follow the sermon outline and all the scriptures are there. But look at this. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. God has given both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence 
as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This is powerful stuff, right? When we, look, he's saying when we take an oath, right, to tell the truth, when we go to court, they make you put your hand on the Bible and you say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me. Right, you're making this pledge, this oath, right, to you're calling on somebody greater than yourself to hold you to the promise that you're making, right? Think about it. God has no one greater than himself. So he makes an oath to himself, which is bizarre in a way, but isn't that neat? He, there's no one greater, so he makes the promise and the oath to himself, right? That I will do this and I do not lie. So when he makes a promise, the bottom line is he's going to keep it. Doesn't matter how bizarre the promise seems. Doesn't matter how hopeless the promise seems. Doesn't matter how dark the day seems that you're walking. If God promised, God will come through. And you've got to believe it because he is a God who does not lie. That's who he is, right? Second, he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. It's really cool stuff. We can believe what he says because he's trustworthy and he's faithful. It's a part of who he is, right? He said, I am the way, I am the... It is who he is. We know that the enemy is the father of lies. God is someone who is truth, who embodies truth, who only speaks truth, who only lives truth. He is a trustworthy. He is trustworthy to believe in. When God promises salvation to anyone who believes and receives Jesus, like I said, you can take that to the bank for that promise is true. See, some people... This is what I've experienced, and many of you would know this. Some people, because of past mistakes, have considered themselves worthless or far too gone. I've made too many mistakes. I've, made, uh, I've got too many skeletons in my closet. I've, I'm dysfunctional. I'm addicted. I've got all kinds of issues. And some people think that they, they, they just have a hard time believing that God really does love them and that God really can save them. Remember I told you about the person that walked into a funeral I was doing, and he hadn't been in church in so long, he kept looking up at the ceiling like this? Remember that story? I did his funeral, and this guy walks in, and it was the weirdest thing. He, was, he walked in, and he kept doing this. And I, I couldn't handle it anymore, so I had to go over, and I say, are you all right? Something wrong? And he goes, yeah, I'm in church, man, and I just, I'm waiting for the lightning to strike. And he was kind of half joking, but kind of half serious. And I, I, I thought, this is sometimes how we think, right? Because of things we've done and mistakes we've made that God really can't, can't save us. He can save other people because they're better than us. They're more worthy somehow, but not me, right? But the promise of salvation, understand this, it actually doesn't depend on you. That's why it's good, right? It doesn't depend on you right? If it depended on all of us, we're all unworthy, right? 
None are worthy to receive. None, none can measure up. None, nobody. We're all unworthy. And here's the thing. If you feel particularly unworthy, understand that it's not about you. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. It makes no difference who we are. It makes no difference what we've done. All of us are sinners in need of a savior. And his love for us is based on his faithfulness, his desire, his love. He wants to save us. And that can be trusted, the Bible says, to never change. That's what it says. So it's on him. Though I'm unworthy, he still loves me. Though I make dumb mistakes, he still loves me. Though I wander away, he still wants me. It's, it's a powerful truth, right? God is trustworthy. When we sing the old hymn, great is thy faithfulness. I mean, think about it. We sing morning by morning, new what? Mercies I see, right? All I have needed, thy hand hath provided, right? Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. It's about him, right? It's about him. He is faithful to me even when I am not faithful to him. And this is it. So why can you believe even the promise of salvation? Because A, God doesn't lie and he's trustworthy. He says he loves you. He sent his son to die for you that he wants to give you eternal life, hope, and a future, and you can count on that. You can take it to the bank, no matter who you are and no matter what you've done. This is a powerful, powerful promise, right? So God calls Abraham to believe that he could become a father, even though it was physically impossible, both for him and for his wife. And he calls him to believe it. He asks us, to believe that we can be children of God even when we're going through times when we feel incredibly unworthy. He asks us to believe the promise even when it seems impossible. How many of you would be here today and just say, there's been a time in my life when I know God has promised me something? Would you, just something anything. And, and you might not, as, as of the, as the day that we're sitting here today, you might not have seen the fulfillment of that promise. You might, you might not have seen any of it fulfilled. Maybe some of you have seen some of it fulfilled or partially fulfilled. Some of you haven't seen one thing. God promised you something and you haven't seen one step towards that happening. Remember Abraham. He was asking an old man and an old woman, and I say that respectfully, but when you're 100, I think I can call you old, to believe that they were going to have a child. Whatever your issue is, it's, it may be just as impossible as that. But God is a promise maker, and he is a promise keeper. What he says is what he does. He does not lie, and he can be trusted to keep his word. If he said it, he will do it. Do what Abraham did. 
It said his faith never wavered. Even though he figured his body was dead, he never wavered in believing the promise. This is the challenge for us. Those of you who are still waiting for a promise, right? He's asking you to believe for something that seems impossible, right? How's your faith? How are you doing? Are you holding on well? Are you keep on keeping on, right? See, you can, you, you, there's only really two ways to go with this. You're, 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 you're living and believing in faith or you're, or you're operating in misery and despair. I'm not sure there's a whole lot of difference, uh, like a whole lot of in between. We have to believe God keeps his promises. So here's a couple of things as we, as we head, head towards home. We're turning the corner now and heading towards home, okay? So how do you receive his promises? Just a few simple things that I thought were really obvious, but I think important to mention. If you're waiting, how do you receive it? How do you wait? How do you wait well, right? Well, I, I, I wrote down four, and you'll see those in your, in your outline there. But the first one is, we gotta, we got to know the book. we got to learn the book. we got to know the book. Where are his promises written? Somebody tell me. Yeah. Don't wait for the movie, people. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. The movies never do the book justice, ever, ever, ever. Read the book. The book, the word of God, contains the promises of God. So how can we know the promises if we don't know the book? Read the book. Read the book. Number two, you've got to learn how to patiently. There's waiting and then there's waiting. You know what I'm saying? When I'm in the drive-thru, I'm waiting. I'm not particularly happy about it. And then when you get to the thing, you know, you order nuggets or something, get to the window, and then they go, oh, sorry, sir, uh, could you pull over onto the side because your nuggets aren't ready yet? Go, what? You know what Pastor Jordan told me one time? He said, no, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay right here until you give me your nuggets. (laughs) He told me he did that. In fact, this week... When they told me to pull over on the side, he said, you shouldn't. Just wait right here. (laughs) And we laughed about it. And I went, no, man, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to pull over. (laughs) There's waiting and then there's waiting. You know what I'm saying? Right? You have to wait. You don't have a choice. But how you wait is your choice. Correct? How you wait. Right? Look at Hebrews chapter 6. It says, Abraham waited how? 25 years, and he received what God had promised, right? Abraham and Sarah waited a long time before they saw the promise of their son. How long have you waited for your promise? How long? Some of you have waited a long time, but I want you to know God keeps his word. So don't get worried. Don't get anxious. Stay right there in the pocket of his peace and of his will. Patiently wait. Look at what it says. Let me remind you, Romans 4. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Throughout all those years, even as they grew older, his faith grew stronger, right? And in this, he brought glory to God. You bring glory to God by 
by, by waiting well. Do you understand? Because it's showing something on your part. It's showing trust. It's showing patience. It's showing endurance. It's showing I'm, I'm, I'm locked in, Lord. So it's your way, your time. You're the highway. You're, you're, the, you're the bus driver. I'm just here for the ride. You know, I'm just going to wait, and I'm going to wait well, right? Look, Abraham waited well. There are lots of us here today who have actually probably waited for a promise for more than 25 years. And I'm telling you and reminding you, please wait well, because it matters how you wait. It does matter how you wait. Remember David, King David, but before David was a king, before David became a king, he was anointed to be the king, but he wasn't the king. And he had to wait actually quite a while for it to happen. And Saul was evil, and Saul was going downhill. David had opportunities. Remember? David had opportunities to kill Saul so that he could become king. But he said, no, that would be my time. I'm not touching the Lord's anointed. This is, if God's called me to this, if this is a promise of God, then, then God's going to have to do it his way and in his time. If I force the issue, I'm stepping out of his will and I'm not waiting very patiently, am I? So David waited and he waited and he waited. And it came about just as God said it would. Jesus says so many times, but we won't look it up, but in Luke chapter 18, he says these words. He says, I want you to pray and not lose heart. That's what Jesus says. Keep praying and don't lose heart, right? Because he knows there's going to be some waiting involved, right? So he's saying, keep praying and don't lose heart. You, you can either be, like I said, you can either be in a state of prayer or you can be in a state of despair. Prayer or despair, your choice, right? Wait well. How are you waiting? How are you waiting? How have you been waiting? Patience in prayer, I believe, will help secure the promise of God. Just keep trusting him. See, if you, you know what happens if you don't wait well? You get impatient. Guess what happens when you get impatient? You make mistakes. You rush. You do things that you probably shouldn't have done, right? Waiting well, patient in prayer, helps God's promise to come your way. It helps to secure it. It helps you to keep, just to keep you in line and to keep you walking in the lane that you need to walk in. So patiently wait. It's important. Three, obedience to God's will. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. It says, patient endurance is what you need now, which we just talked about, so that you will continue to do what? God's will, right? Then you will receive all that he has promised. So he's tying these two together, patiently waiting and doing God's will, right? Patiently waiting helps you to continue to do God's will. Like we just said, when, you, when you're impatient, it can veer you to the left and to the right. But patiently waiting keeps you on track. Staying in his will helps you to receive all of his promises, right? Part of our obedience to the Lord is to maintain this childlike faith, to believe even though we don't understand, to believe even though it seems impossible, to somehow say, you said it, Father, so I believe it. Just that simple. This is part of the challenge of obeying and living and maintaining a childlike faith. We simply take God at his word. 
Just, just that simple. See, and we understand this too, that some of the promises in the Bible are conditional. And it's important to just throw that out there so that we, we get this. Meaning, right, one of the most famous ones, right, Second Chronicles, if, don't forget that word, if my people, uh-huh, if my people, right, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Well, what happens if they don't pray, if they don't humble themselves, if they don't turn from their wicked ways? Then the promise won't be yours. Okay, got real quiet. Somebody said yes, pastor. That's true. It's still true. It's true. It's still true, right? Why do I say all the time, do the right thing and right things happen, right? If you consistently do the right thing, then you'll have right things consistently happen in your life, right? If my people, right? He's, and there's, a, there's a, by the way, there's dozens of them. I'm just throwing out that one because it's, it's familiar. There is times when we have missed something God wanted to do for us, God wanted to do in us, God wanted to do through us because we've stepped out of his will, we've taken things on our own, we've veered to the left or to the right and, and, and we've messed it up, right? Thankfully, he's gracious and kind, he puts us back on track and the promise is not lost, it's just delayed sometimes, right? But the truth is, is we have to do what we have to do. And staying in that pocket of his will, obeying what he says to do, do what he says. We must obey. With obedience, obedience will always bring blessing, right? Will always bring blessing. Do what he says and your life will be blessed in so many different ways. You know, you step out of his will and do your own thing, then you're, you're not going to, you know, you're running the risk of, not receiving all the things that he wants to give you. You've, you've chosen your own path, not his. And so to stay in his will is important. Lastly, faith. We have to have faith. We have to believe. Look at uh, Hebrews 11. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. It says, by faith they received what God had promised them. They kept the faith. They're all sort of all kind of symbiotic, intertwined with each other. But I'm just pointing out a few points that I think are important. How do we, how do we stay on track? How can we receive these promises, right? Well, faith is clearly an issue for us, right? Romans 4 says Abraham didn't waver. It says, in fact, his, strength, his faith grew what? Stronger, it says. In the weight, his faith grew stronger. Could you imagine? Just, I know that's easy to say, but think about that, okay? 
Those of us who are waiting for a promise, is your faith growing stronger? Abraham's did. That's incredible. It's amazing. His faith grew stronger in the wait. He grew stronger in the wait. And this, this is why faith is so important because uh, like 2 Corinthians 5 says, right? We walk by faith and not by what? Right. So if we walk around looking at everything we see, Abraham and Sarah were, would look and say, well, it's impossible for us to have a baby. We can't believe that. That's walking by faith, walking by sight, right? Many of our promises, right? We don't wait well, I think, because many times we lose our faith and we start walking and operating by sight and not by faith, right? Our faith, Abraham says his faith never wavered but grew stronger in the wait. Ours wavers all over the place like a roller coaster. And I was out the West End uh, along Major McKenzie yesterday, and I was driving home, and I saw Canada's Wonderland. It was open yesterday. At least I, anyway, I was just looking at the hoo, 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 and it's just from, it's a preacher's that everything's a sermon illustration. But I was watching, I was looking, at, and I was like, Lord, that's how our faith goes. Great service, bad day, boom, you know? Great service, Hands up, yeah! So, boom! It was like, this is kind of how we function. And I was like, Abraham was just a dude. He was just a guy. Don't make him into some supernatural being, okay? He's just a man, right? Who believed God. He was just a guy. How come I can't have faith like that? I want faith. He never wavered. In fact, his faith grew stronger in the wait. That's how we should be waiting. That is incredibly challenging for us. But I encourage you, it's a key, key part, I believe, in receiving the promises of the Lord. If Abraham could believe God for a child at 100 years old, why can't I Believe and claim the promises of God that have been given to me. Why can't I do that? Why can't you? Yes. You can. What is the promise that you need to claim today? What is the promise that you've been clinging to for all of these years? Here's a few. Do you need peace today? Look at Philippians chapter 4. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and guard your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. You don't need to live in fear and worry and anxiety. The peace of God is yours today. Claim it. It's yours. Somebody said yes, right? Do you need victory over temptation? How about 1 Corinthians chapter 10? The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So nobody can say, the devil made me do it. There was no way out. It's a lie. 
There is a way out. If you run to the one who can give you victory over temptation. That was Flip Wilson, wasn't it? Yeah, the devil made me do it. Yeah, Flip Wilson was wrong. Do you need wisdom to make a decision in your life? Is there something that you're just needing guidance on? You're needing clarity. Look at what James chapter 1 says. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. And he won't rebuke you for asking. You're not bothering him. You're not, you're not hassling him. He's not saying, ah, fine, I'll give you some. No, he's saying, ask, because he's a generous God. Ask, and I'll give it to you. So what do you need wisdom for? A business decision? A relationship choice? Something? Ask him. Just ask him, Lord, please, show me. Give me the wisdom. Help me to know what to do. I want to do the right thing. I want to wait. I want to walk your lane. I want to do your will. I want to obey. Teach me. Show me. And he answers. He promises to. Right? Are you wondering if there's if any good can possibly come out of the mess that you're in, of the brokenness, of the pain, of the, of the, the darkness that you've been walking through? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So listen, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore you. He will support you. He will strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. Have you walked through a time where you feel like you've been burned, where you're so down, where everything is wrong? Well, he's saying, take heart, oh child of God, for after you have suffered a little while, I'm going to make you all right again. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to strengthen you. All that was wrong, you'll see, will be made right. This is what he promises. You know, uh, uh, one, one quick story. This is, this is extra. When I was in the hospital recovering from my uh, 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 surgery that I had, I was in a really bad car accident years ago. I have to tell the whole story one day, but I was, was really in a dark place. I was asking why. I didn't understand what I was going through and why something like this had to happen. You know, why did I deserve this? It's the woe is me, and the whole dark cloud was hanging over my life. And a friend of mine, uh, in fact, it was Dorian Baxter, his name is, Elvis Priestley. He walked into my my uh, hospital room one day, and he said, Jeff, the Lord told me, you need to read this verse. And he pulled up, put it up for me again, Shelley. First Peter, First Peter 5, that one, the, the, the one I just read. First Peter 5, 10. And he said this, this is the verse that you need to read. And he opened up a Bible, and, and he read it to me. And he got to that part, so after you have suffered a little while, he's going to restore, support, and strengthen you. And he'll put you back on a firm foundation. 
I want you to know that verse uh, has been special to me since that day, and that was over 20 years ago. I've lived that verse. I know that verse. I claim that promise, and I'm standing here today. That promise is true for me. After I suffered a little while, he made me right. He put everything right. So are you wondering if any good can come out of the mess you're in? 1 Peter 5.10 says yes. Right? Do you carry guilt from your past? Now go to the 1 John. It says you confess your sin to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all of your wickedness. Right? Why are we walking around feeling guilty from our past, child of God? There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. For you are saved, healed, delivered. You've confessed your sins, and he is faithful and trustworthy. He's a God who doesn't lie. And he says, listen, I've forgiven you your sins, and I've cleansed you from your wickedness. You now wear the robe of righteousness. All the promises of Christ are yes and amen. And he now is robed you with his righteousness, and your wickedness and sin and your failings and guilt from the past are now flushed and gone away. This is true today. Somebody receive it. You're walking, walking with guilt and you need to walk free, right? Which, by the way, leads me to the next one. Do you need to break free from a habit, from a bad way of thinking? Look at what John 8 says. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, is a slave of sin. And a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son or a daughter is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, come on, you are truly free. Come on. So do you need to break free from a habit? You need to break free from some bad thinking. You need to break free from discouragement and depression and a dark cloud that's hanging over. Jesus says, you are free. You are free. You are free. See, people break their promises, but God never does. He never, never does. Whatever you need, whatever your need is, God will keep his promises. And we need to learn how to trust him the way that Abraham did, right? He is a God who does not lie. He is a God who is trustworthy and true. He is a God who is faithful to the bitter end. His promise is are true. He says even, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is who he says he is. He does what he says he does. He is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper, and we can have confident hope, confident hope in a promise-keeping God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on, let's bow together. Father, thank you today. Thank you today so much. So much. Oh, just take a moment, even right now, just whatever you're waiting for, Whatever it is that you need today, just ask him. Just be honest. Just be real and authentic. Tell him. 
Lord, this, I've claimed this promise. I'm still believing it. I've been walking, Lord, not very patiently, not waiting very long, not, not waiting very well. But today, I need, Lord, the reminder to wait better. I need to be faithful like you are faithful. I need to walk in the center of your will to see all your plans and purposes come true for my life and for those that I'm claiming for, those that I love, those of my family who are still lost from you. Lord, it's the promise of God. This is, Lord, we are claiming and wanting household salvation. Just as I, was, just as I bowed my head, I felt like so many of your promises were tied to your family. Is that true? So many of your promises tied to your family. I felt that really strongly. And Lord, so we give it to you right now. We give you, Lord, promise-making, promise-keeping God. We give you our families. Some are so lost, Lord. Some are so dark and so discouraged. Some are so hard and so bitter and so unwilling. But Lord, we ask you, to come and to do what you need to do. If you opened up the womb of a 90-year-old woman, then you can save somebody who needs to be saved. Lord, you can minister to somebody who needs to be, to, needs to be touched today. Lord, you can reach through hard walls. You can soften hard minds. Lord, you can, you can make a hard heart warm again. And so, Lord, we ask you today for our families, for those, Lord, that we've been claiming and believing for and praying for, some for years. Lord, we stand on your word and know that it is your will that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So, Lord, we ask you today that you would save our families for household salvation from the oldest to the youngest, that we would be generations of men and women who would serve you and serve you well. Lord, we claim our families today that none would be lost and that the enemy would not trick or trap anyone, Lord, but that the hand of God would bring them back, that the prodigal son and daughter would come home and they would find a father waiting for them with open arms, ready to throw a party and say, my son has come home. Lord, may that be true in our families today, for our sons and our daughters, Lord, our sisters and our brothers, our aunts, our uncles, Lord, people that we love. There's a burden in the house today for that. I felt it. And Lord, we give you this burden today. It is yours to carry, not ours. Listen, child of God, you've been carrying the burden. You've not been waiting well. The burden is not yours to carry. Abraham did not waver. In fact, his faith grew stronger. There's no way his faith grew stronger if he was carrying that burden himself. He gave it to God and he lived free and believed that the promise would come true. So child of God, be free today. Be free today. The burden is not yours to carry. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. You can't do it, so give it to the one who can. He is the one. He is the only one. Thanks for listening to the Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. For more information about Stovall Pentecostal Church, including service times, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. Have a good week and God bless.